Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. The show is a proud media partner for the 11th Annual Media Excellence Awards, which are produced by Access Entertainment in Los Angeles, California. The Media Excellence Awards are recognized as the most influential awards show, honoring innovation and leadership in all things mobile entertainment, lifestyle, and technology. For more information on how to submit to these awards, please visit MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Sean Gorley. He's the CEO and founder at Primer. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing at Primer is really, really fascinating to me. I think kind of what's happening in kind of globally right now. Um, but maybe before we kind of get into that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. So um, the accent you'll hear is it's uh, if, you, if you've got a good ear um, you'll you'll pick it's uh, it's from New Zealand. Um, okay, very that's cool. Where I, uh, where I grew up and so <laughs> much of my time, although I will admit the accent uh, has been modified somewhat um, over the years in the different places I live. So it uh, it sounds somewhat Australian these days, which is um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, <laughs> definitely from cool, New Zealand. I think it's cool, man. Like, that's that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. That's so, right. Yeah, no, the, yeah. So you went to university. Walk me through what you took and why did you decide to take it? Yeah, look, um, so I, I initially uh, went to university, um, I, I guess not really knowing too much of what I wanted to do. So okay. I, I took, um, I took early on, I took law, um, I took uh, um, uh, mathematics, I took philosophy and physics. Um, I, I guess I had this sort of, Images of potentially being a, a, a criminal defense lawyer, um, but um, I went through that and it turned out that the, the amount of work that I was doing to get my sort of B plus grade in law was um, massively more than the work I was doing um, to get the A plus grades in physics and, uh, and mathematics. And so at the end of that first year, I sort of took an assessment <laughs> and thought, man, if I, if I work this hard in physics and maths, you know, um, as I did in law, I wonder, I wonder what I would um, do. But... Um, so I, I ultimately I ended up uh, going down the uh, the physics and maths uh, road. Um, just I think I had a, a perhaps a more um, natural aptitude for it. So um, ended up uh, doing um, a, an undergraduate degree in, in physics and uh, uh, in mathematics, and, and still kept a, a side of philosophy, which I, uh, I found um, really really fascinating going through. And so I uh, still kept a little bit of that on the humanity side. Sure. No, that's great. And you got your PhD, correct? That's right. So after that, I went through and um, actually did my master's degree in uh, in, um, in physics and, and nanotechnology, and okay. um, and that research there was actually part of the first um, New Zealand uh, nanotech um, company, which um, was uh, ended up getting sold uh, into a Japanese group. Um, so really, really fascinating lab work, kind of sitting down and, and looking at self-assembled uh, nanowires, and uh, um, spent a lot of time in, in a physics lab running experiments. So. The empirical side of things was was uh, was really really interesting, but but after that, um, 
I um I went through and and, and was awarded a uh, Rhodes scholarship um, to study at Oxford. Oh, and, very cool. Uh, so so went over there and and uh, and got a chance to kind of do my PhD work at Oxford. And uh, I um I got to Oxford and uh, I sort of looked around and thought, you know, this is too beautiful a place to be stuck in a in a physics lab. So I started looking for some things that were. Uh, were um, were more computational or more theoretical in nature, and uh, and would, would get me out of the lab. And so I I, uh, I got out of the, uh, the empirical side of physics and into the uh, the computational and simulation side. Okay, very cool. So walk me through a bit of your career up until kind of founding and becoming CEO of Primer. Yeah, well, so there was quite instrumental the PhD work um, that I ended up doing. So I ended up finding. Um, my um, my supervisor uh, there was a guy named Neil Johnson. Um, we ended up working together um, on a, uh, I, I guess, a lot of work on the uh, the mathematical structure of insurgency. So we ended up um, looking through and taking these uh, these reports, uh, written reports of information coming out of places like Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, looking at the the descriptions of these events that were unfolding. These were attacks that were. Uh, um, killing people, and um, you're looking at the timing and the size and, and the geolocation of these attacks. And so I went through that there and started doing research to see if we could see patterns um, in the way the violence was unfolding. And so my research um, was really, really focused on uh, the mathematical structure of insurgency. And it turned out that there were um, a lot of patterns in the way that violence unfolds. Okay. Um, and not, not just uh, patterns and violence, but these would repeat themselves across different war zones around the world. Um, we were able to build simulations um, of these uh, conflicts and, um, and actually start to understand uh, how insurgencies are so successful or why um, the organizational structures of insurgencies were so successful. And, um, and that work caught the eye of um, the scientific community and uh, ended up being published on the cover of Nature. Oh, um, so it was cool. a huge kind of scientific... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, huge, that's huge, man. Congrats on that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's that's right. Um, we were we're thrilled. It's one of those ones that you you think it all goes smoothly through that, but after five hard years of doing that research, sure. eventually um, en- ended up on on the cover, and um, it was it was a huge kind of um, piece of work for me as as a PhD student. Um, but um, more than that, I think it opened up um, a, a new field of a really quantitative analysis of uh, of conflict, and uh, and after that, that took me around um, a number of different places um, around the world. Um, and uh, some very, very interesting experiences uh, in, in places um, like the United Nations and uh, also U.S. Central Command and also some time um, uh, up in northern Iraq. And so um, that was that was sort of that journey through, and, and I came through that um, and ultimately decided that um, I wanted to, uh, to do more than just write papers. I wanted to actually build things, and that, that's what brought me out to Silicon Valley. Okay, very cool. So how did you decide to come up with Primer, and what exactly is it? Yeah, so for me, I became really, really fascinated um, in around 2013, 2014, of what we were seeing with um, multi-layer neural networks and, uh, and what they were doing to uh, images. And that really kind of come into the image um, uh, world and, and started to kind of you know, have a significant step change in the performance um, on some really, really key tasks. And so I was looking at that and thinking, well, this, you know, the next step on this is, is language, and um, and these these multi-layer neural nets will um, go and have a similar effect. Well, that was the bet that would have a similar effect um, with understanding language. So for me, um, coming into Primer, we were seeing this kind of um, this technology change, and uh, 
you know, for me, it started to look like we would be able to get to this place. We could start to build machines that would that would read and understand language um, to a reasonable degree. Um, but more than that, they'd also be able to generate language. They'd be able to write. And once you've got these two sides of reading and writing, you, you're able to kind of start to replicate a lot of uh, human behaviors um, in that, that, you know, um, that are currently, you know, uh, very, very important for, uh, for uh, large organizations. And so um, coming out of that, it was a chance to get back into this, into this world of um, uh, geopolitics, uh, government intelligence and uh, um, insurgencies. And so one of the places where uh, there's a huge amount of reading and writing is inside um, the government intelligence space. Sure. You have tens of thousands of analysts sitting down and reading and trying to understand what's going on in the world. Um, and so that was a really, really interesting place to come back and apply this technology um, to start to uh, to generate that first draft of the kinds of reports that analysts would be making. Um, and if you can build technology to do that, well, firstly, um, you start to see things that are very, very interesting as they unfold in the world. You start to see patterns again. Um, but also, more importantly, you, you free up a lot of analyst time uh, to go on and um, and figure out the so what's and the what ifs. Sure. Interesting. So I'm curious then, how do you or like, what do you guys kind of do now with with, with this technology that you've kind of developed? Because it's actually quite fascinating, especially with all the stuff that's kind of going on right now. I, I think, obviously, a lot of people right now, the big thing is, is the fake news kind of stuff that, you know, all these companies are either having issues with or trying to stop. But what how do you guys kind of handle all that stuff with your technology yeah so it's really it's interesting right so the the first thing is this, there's a sense of um you're trying to grasp a sense of reality right and truth um is, is a really important um you know thing that we have to get in the world but there's two things that kind of run at that one is um the complexity of the world that we're in right there's sure there's a huge amount of things that are going on and, and even if we are seeing what we would deemed to be an, an un, um, un, or non-manipulated reality, there's no, there's no guarantee that, that we can still understand it, right? So complexity is an issue that, that we as humans run up against. Sure. Um, and the second bit is um, the stories that we tell about reality. And, and some of these stories can be manipulative. And, and indeed, any kind of story is, is a degree of manipulation, whether it's trying to simplify things for us or whether it's trying to uh, simplify things um, for someone else's benefit. Um, sure. you know, any, any, any story that we tell is a simplification of the world and these can either be useful or they can be, um, exploitative. Right. And one of the things that you come through that is, you know, ultimately I think you're trying to build, um, stories, um, that are useful. Um, now there's a lot of um, actors out there that, that, um, that have a vested interest in telling you stories that, that are different. So there's two things that kind of come through that. Um, one is the first is we, we went into the space and, in 2015, um, you, you don't sort of get into the to the space of, of you know understanding Russian and Chinese um, you know language as they describe the world that's going on without you know being acutely aware that not everything that comes from Pravda is um, is real, correct, and truthful. Sure. So there's definitely a sense there's not a surprise here, right? Um, but you know what what do you do about this as it comes through? Well, there's a couple of things that, that, that emerge. First and foremost, things that are kind of fake, fake, as in totally made up, never happened, are actually pretty rare. This is, this is actually okay, um, not the vast majority. Like mo most of the things that, 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 that are absolutely fake are, 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 are small and, and, and relatively um, a small volume of the total. 
um, you know, pieces of, uh, of, of manipulative information. What's much more um, uh, significant is um, the things that are real, um, but um, probably aren't as important or aren't as significant. Um, and so you can tell almost for anything you want because of the sort of the state space of the world that we're in. You, you can tell a story that's real, that's rooted in, in something that happened that takes your perspective and point and, you know, reinforces it, underscores it, right? So it's almost, it's, it's not a question of making something up. It's finding an example that suits your um, narrative that you need and then telling a story around it. And because we have so much complexity, any kind of projection of that down to a simple story can probably hold any kind of worldview that you want. So this is actually a much more difficult problem. Um, is, is not to say is this real or fake, but is to say is this an accurate representation of reality, um, albeit a simpler one. So going through that, um, you know, one of the things that, that we do a lot here is, is is look at all the different stories that are being told and all the different um, you know all the different uh, relationships that are inferred from that you know by all the events that are happening in the world. And so every time something happens, you get um, different pieces of information. Um, they can be uh, uh, different stories, they can be, um, they can be transcripts, they can be uh, images um, that will start to infer that something happened. Um, and then you'll get the stories that we tell about that on top of it. So there's two sort of pieces. This is the reality and then the stories about rea- reality. And you want to be able to separate those two out um, to start to infer the significance of the event that actually unfolded. Interesting. Okay. So m- maybe this is a little bit kind of offside, but I'm curious about because you mentioned different languages is is sometimes part of the reason that some of the stories get so skewed when they get translated into different languages that just the translation maybe gets kind of lost a little bit do you know what i'm trying to get at there yeah so so different languages are fascinating to to look at um we we live in an English, you know, you and I live in an English centric sure. world and we, we, we kind of think that the, the English stories that we tell, you know, are kind of the important ones, right? And, you know, if there was a story that happened in Russia, you know, it, it would come across, right? We would pick it up. Sure. Um, you know, the, the truth is, is much, much different. Um, what we find is that half of all the stories um, that, that happen in Russia don't have a corollary in English. They just don't have a translation. Oh, interesting. So it's really interesting. So the, the, the transmission of, of information is um, is actually pretty uh, pretty low. Now the second argument is well, all, all the important stuff comes across, right? So like you know, don't worry. Um, well, that's not even true, right? There's a lot of important things that happen that just don't make their way across, and it's almost you know it, it feels somewhat random in terms of what information um, tends to make it into the English uh, language um, uh, space. So that's even without trans. That's sort of that's even with kind of humans translating that, right? Now, if you put machines on top of this, um, you know, machines will uh, will sort of pick up <laughs> different things, and, and the meaning can be very, very, um, very different, particularly with some subtleties in the way that things emerge. Um, but the the hard part is not can you translate it, but it's 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 what do you translate? So if I said to you know you know go and go and translate everything in Russian um, and bring it across. Um, you'd still be left with, um, you know, a question of, of what's actually important. Um, and so the, the, the transmission um, of information between languages is, is lossy. Um, and then the, the translation of an individual piece of information um, between languages uh, loses nuance. And um, 
you know, you can look at some stuff and, and there's, there's certainly been improvements with, with some of the, uh, the consumer um, translation tools. But, you know, I think if you spend any time with that, particularly in geopolitical context, um, you, can, you can definitely infer the wrong meaning um, very, very easily. Uh, from the translation that's, that's automatically being done. So, so we work um, exclusively in the language um, that the information was written in. And so when we work yeah. in Chinese, um, we, we, we work in Chinese. And if you want to interact with it as a non-Chinese speaker, um, it's only at the final layer do we translate. But all the, uh, all the reading and writing is done in Chinese. Got you. Yeah, okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So how does this kind of AI machine learning kind of stuff that you guys are doing translate into the enterprise because you guys have some huge clients that people have heard of and you don't need to obviously um, give away any kind of secret stuff that you guys are doing for them. But just overall, how does what you're, you guys are doing at Primer kind of tie into kind of big organizations and, and big kind of data sets? Yeah, so, so when we started with the intelligence um, community, you know, we found that that, that was that was a pretty representative problem. Um, sure. You have thousands and thousands of people, you know, processing huge amounts of information, and the, the challenge was how do you uh, how do you figure out what's important? How do sure. you figure out what's important inside of it? And if you think about this as a as a sort of a meta problem, um, lots of different information, um, and, and what 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 really matters. And of course, that translates very very well into the corporate um, environment where you have some of these you know mega companies. Um, you know the likes of, uh, of Walmart and uh, um, you know e- even you know the big financial institutions like GIC that, sure. that have uh, you know huge amounts of, of money um, and people working for them. Um, you know similar kinds of problems. You know they they sit there and there's just huge amounts of information that they have to kind of make sense of, and a lot of it you know they're producing themselves. So we, we were able to go in and deploy our technology on, on top of their data um, to uh, to replicate the kinds of behaviours that their human analysts are doing. Um, on top of that, and again, once you've got the components of, uh, of reading and writing, um, you've got a lot of flexibility. Whether it's reading, um, you know, uh, PDFs, or it's reading, uh, you know, um, regulatory documents, or it's reading um, internal CRM uh, or emails, you've got a, um, a huge amount of flexibility to uh, to deploy that um, on what's ultimately text. Um, and then, as you look to understand that, the systems can. Uh, can surface, um, you know, the information that's valuable and interesting, um, and it's trained and tuned by the uh, the uh, the people um, inside of that organization to uh, to match the needs of the insights that they want. Okay, interesting. No, that that makes a lot of sense. It's actually quite fascinating that you guys can do this because you guys will like obviously it's it's not even comparison to how fast you guys can do this compared to like a human being, right? Like what you guys are doing probably within a matter of seconds would take a team of people probably months. Is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, speed is, is obviously a, uh, <laughs> a major advantage that machines have over humans. We sort of um, draw the comparison that humans will, um, will process one um, you know, piece of information in about 650 milliseconds. Um, and that's, that's one piece um, wow. of, of, of data. So if, if you know, you, you're getting to two bits of information, it'll take you 1.2 seconds. Um, and when we scale that up, um, it, you know, it means if, if, if you as a human are kind of uh, reading a 10K filing at 130 pages, um, you know, that, that's three hours of your day gone, right? Sure. That's, that's your three hours. Um, whereas, whereas machines can be trained um, 
to replicate that behavior and of course um, not just do one but do do um, thousands of them um, in uh, in seconds um, now where machines um, you know win is, is speed and scale um, where humans tend to win is precision um, and um, what, what that means is that humans you know tend to be um, much more precise um, and, and there are uh, and the things that they think are interesting. Um, and so uh, that can be up into the high 90s, um, uh, whereas machines will, will lose a few percentage points on precision. Sure. Um, what's, what's interesting with speed and scale is you can pick up um, a massive boost on machines um, when it comes to recall, so picking up things that humans otherwise would have missed. Oh, and it turns out that, um, that, yeah, it turns out that humans are pretty bad um, at, at knowing what we don't know. Um, we're pretty good at, at, at uh, looking at the things that we do know and assessing equality, which is precision. Um, we're pretty bad at um, knowing the things we don't know. And uh, um, the thing on that is, is that uh, we, we tend to overestimate how, you know, our ability of recall. So we, we tend to think we're a lot better than we are. Um, and it's always funny putting the, uh, the, the software um, on, on top of data sets and uh, for people that are, you know, whose job it is to look at these and understand them. And we'll, we'll surface up, you know, you know, interesting piece of information. The software will surface up interesting piece of information, and um, start, you know, uh, start explaining them back to the uh, to the humans. And the humans uh, who spend the time with the data will look at this and say that that can't be true. I, w- I would have seen that. Um, you know, there's no way I would have missed that. Um, and you know, that just kind of indicates how, uh, you know, I think how um, how much we uh, we tend to overestimate our abilities. Um, of, of actually going through and picking up, uh, you know, on, on the recall side of the equation. Interesting. So when you say surface up, does that mean I set a bunch of kind of keywords and or is it kind of like a live search or how does that kind of work? So we, we take an example and we'll, we'll, we'll talk at a sort of, um, a, a sort of a somewhat generic example. Sure. Um, and, uh, and uh, keep keep it at that level. If we walk through and say, look, um, we're, we're going to take um, all of the um, the earnings uh, transcripts, right, and um, okay. you know, all the earnings calls. Um, and so, you know, the, let's say there's a, a universe of uh, of um, five thousand that you're interested in, right? Five thousand earnings calls this year, and you want to, you know, um, take every quarter um, going backwards in time. So, say you've got a hundred thousand earnings calls, right? Okay. Um, that that would um, then kind of go through and say, well, you know, we're looking, um, we've got a, a training set of everything that we've um, we've previously picked up um, that are talking about a specific action um, that the company's going to take, right? And okay. so, like, we've, we've picked that up by by humans, and we're fairly confident that's a good test set. Um, what we can go through and, and and go into that and say, look, you know, given the things that we've found here. Is are there any other um, examples of this um, from uh, earnings calls um, that are also these kinds of events? And okay. so you know it can go through and, uh, and 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 look on that. Now that'll put back a um, a, a test set with the performance um, on the model, and then what we can actually go through and, and utilize things like active learning um, and also weak supervision um, inside of the interface for the user to go through and quickly improve that performance of that model. Um, so what they end up with is is a system that has replicated the finding of these um, events um, that are given from um, the people inside of the earnings calls. So not only that, um, but they've also been able to kind of build a model that estimates the probability of these things um, actually happening in the future, which oh, actually goes a lot way beyond the individual humans because the humans can identify it and say, you know, someone says we're going to do X. 
Uh, well, did they actually do X? And if you're only looking at a small sample set of that, it's really hard to infer from the language uh, whether or not X um, was actually uh, you know, going to happen. But when you look at a very, very large sample set, not only can you identify the cases when um, people signaled uh, that they were going to do X, um, they actually you know, can infer the probability of that happening as well. So that, that's sort of one example, and that would be utilising um, you know, what we call um, weak supervision and um, active learning. Um, but you can also go fully unsupervised, which is just, you know, if you took that same data set and um, of earnings, you know, transcripts and said, you know, what seems to be interesting here? Um, and the computers, um, you know, actually trained to look for latent structure inside of that data set and say, you know, I don't really know exactly what this is, but here's um, my description of it. And here's why I think it's interesting. And it might, you know, surface back 10 or 20 different things. Um, which can be very, very, uh, you know, useful for the, for the human users to come in and, and go, yeah, look, some of these are, are really interesting. I need to take a closer look. And so um, you, can, you can use different methods depending on the training data and depending on the engagement with, um, with humans um, uh, into these systems, or you can go fully unsupervised, um, which allows you to, uh, to surface things um, without necessarily even having a question at heart. Okay, interesting. So... How much of the stuff that you need to do to analyze this stuff needs to be kind of in text? Like you mentioned PDF, but if I scan in kind of paper documents, audio, video, do, can you guys analyze all that kind of, you know, um, kind of old school kind of documentation where, you know, it's, it wasn't obviously converted to some sort of digital format other than maybe like a scan? Yeah, so um, so actually we've we've, we've partnered with um, uh, a couple of uh, you know very good um, technology uh, groups on um, on OCR, um, okay. and so we've got that capability, which is um, which is great. We don't build the OCR capabilities ourselves, but actually there's there's a bunch certainly on the intelligence um, side of the equation where things that are picked up and are you know handwritten notes, um, and uh, you know that that's an important data point. Um, the second, you know, we take text. Um, and we'll, we'll actually deploy um, from, uh, from speech to text um, and sort of bring that through. Okay. Um, and we do analysis of image, images and videos. Oh, and, very uh, cool. Um, that's, often, that's often related to the text as well. So if, uh, if there's an event that unfolds that we identify, um, you know, we, can, uh, we can see the event and, 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 and describe the event. But we can also look for any images um, you know, that are uh, likely pertaining to that event and then actually go through and, and connect those events to the story that's sorry, connect those images to the story that's being told. And so, um, you know, that that's that's a really really interesting piece. Is that you know if uh, you know if, if things are referring to a you know to a to a particular person or they're they're referring to a you know a set of numbers. You know, if there's a chart um, that looks like it's it's pertaining to those numbers, you can surface that as well. So, yeah, the, um, the what we would sort of say on this is that. Um, the different the different pieces or streams of information, um, you know, are all useful. And I think as we move to a uh, a world with with more data, um, you want to be able to take the diversity of that data and assemble it together um, to shine a shine a brighter light on what's actually happening. Yeah, no, that that's interesting to me. Um, so I'm curious. Then we we talked a bit about kind of enterprise, but. Um, when we first kind of connected and I kind of was doing some research on you guys, um, it kind of came up about being able to kind of get computers to actually write stories or, or 
um, news stories or, or kind of anything at some point. Like I've had people on the show where they're they're building stuff to write um, product descriptions, right? And then maybe a human has to go back and actually, you know, make sure that product description is pretty accurate. But um, you basically, or give me your thoughts on kind of computers writing different content for kind of good and potentially really bad things, right? Because I, I know, I think it was yeah. like WhatsApp in, in some country was getting bad press lately for, um, you know, spreading fake news and, and people were getting killed, which is like obviously super sad. But so how can we kind of talk, maybe just talk about your thoughts on kind of actually using computers to kind of actually write or, or put things out there that, you know, seem real. Yeah. Well, look, uh, one, one thing coming coming out of this, I think it's, it's a good a good thing to acknowledge it's easier to train a computer to write something that's fake than it is to train it to write something that's real. Okay, why is and that? The reason for that, well, the, re yeah, the reason for that is um, if you think about describing the world um, or describing a part of the world even, or just, just, a, just a small thing, there's only one sort of, you know, space of that where it's true. Um, there's an almost infinite space where that's false, right? Okay. So if you think about just the kind of, you know, the probability that you, if you were randomly generating sentences the probability that you hit one that was true um is, is much much smaller than the probability that you hit one that's false so easier to write something false um than it is to write something that's true interesting um just on sheer sheer kind of probability space um secondly um on that you know that that assumes you know what true is and um and oftentimes you don't actually know what true is so even if you're building systems to generate text um you know, knowing what you should actually be writing about um, is is uh, is half of the problem. Um, the other half being actually being able to express it. So, and you see some of these things, right? Where you'll you'll you know be able to take a, a bunch of um, you know um, things like you know uh, seen done on you know the transcripts from Friends over the course of their uh, <laughs> you know all the sitcom oh, Friends over all the series, and you know they'll. they'll They'll, they'll generate um, they'll generate something that, that's somewhat plausible. Uh, they're not bad. Um, if, you, if you cherry pick maybe the best ten percent, um, maybe, maybe they could be um, maybe they could pass for a scene. Um, but it's not true, right? Like that's that's just a story, right? Um, you know, you know. Similarly, you know, we've seen uh, some some uh, some some of the team in here has, has built. Um, you know, just for test sets, we're built on restaurant reviews, right? And we, we can build, oh, you know, a, a text generation output that will, you know, give you a wonderful review of like, um, you know, the local kind of, um, you know, a dive bar or Chinese restaurant. But it, it's it's not true, right? It'll, sure. it'll um, you know, it's not clear that, that it even serves um, that food. Now, you can constrain it somewhat. But again, like, you know, it might say that the, um, you know, the Kung Pao chicken is, is terrible, um, and it might be wonderful, right? So sure. again, um, it's it's easy to build things that that, that sound uh, true. Um, it's harder to build things that are. Now, if you want to build things that are true, you have to constrain every claim that's made to some ground truth, right? And and that's that's where you you lose some of that flexibility and freedom. If you think of these models that are trained, um, you know, on observing a large number of corpus, what what they're really trained to do is to uh, is to um, is to use language that's been similarly used in the corpus around them, so they, they they're quite good at sounding um, sounding real. Okay. Um, what where the constraint comes in is you you have to keep um, all the different uh, relationships. 
So if we go into the um, to the world of geopolitics, if you build a system, you know, that says, you know, Russia bombed, um, you know, China, um, that would be very, very different from building a system that, that that's, or building a sentence that said China bombed Russia, right? right? So it, it may sound equally right, but the, the consequences of generating that um, are obviously massive um, if you get that wrong. So, so the, the the point there is you have to constrain it to reality. Um, and that, to that extent, you have to have a map and, and a sense of what reality is. Um, and and that, that's sort of the, you know, the big challenge um, of, of language generation um, and, uh, you know, dealing with, with the thing. That's why I think we're going to see much more of it, um, you know, being used uh, for, for the pushing of fake news and propaganda and, uh, and things that are more manipulative. Um, I think it's, it's a tool that is definitely um, uh, easier to deploy in those spaces. However, if you've got all these systems, you know, computers generating um, information that's meant to manipulate, um, and you don't have any tools to read those, um, as a human, you're just going to be bombarded with, with a huge deluge of information um, of which, you know, is generated by machines that may be targeted to you that you don't have any tools to navigate. So even though it's easier to deploy these um, to generate fake information, you know, the, the, the easier it is to do that, the, the bigger and bigger the need um, to have these tools to read that sure. um, information and to tell you a story that's closer um, to reality. Now, you know, outside of the intelligence context, we see this a lot if you go and take, you know, in the finance space and you take a, um, a set of relatively poorly covered companies. So maybe get your, your way down the Russell 2000 index. Okay. Um, they don't necessarily have huge numbers of analysts covering them. They, they aren't, you know, your major kind of brands. You may or may not have heard of these companies. If you look for information um, online about them, you, you'll see up to half of all the information being computer generated. Um, and so we're already in that space in, in the financial things. And these are pretty crude um, things, uh, although they're improving. Um, but you'll read through them and, uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe you don't as a human. Um, the, the thing there is, is when you train machines, the machines pick this up, you know, straight away um, and say, this is all being generated by machines, just FYI. Um, and, um, you know, you know that, that becomes a very, very interesting thing for machines to kind of recognize other machines. Um, but this is already kind of um, happening in certain kind of spheres like finance, okay. um, you know, where, where you're probably getting some pretty sophisticated um, language generation, although I'd, I'd sort of say that most of it is kind of rule-based or, uh, or template-orientated rather than being um, of the next kind of generation of neural nets. Okay, so could could some of that data then, say, in this finance space be used to pretty accurately predict certain outcomes? Well, um, so uh, how do you mean, like, coming well, to me and saying uh, if, if, if you, yeah, go on. Like, I, I guess, like, can you predict if I should buy stock in, uh, in a company that's maybe traded, that's maybe not as popular based on kind of data you, you pull from maybe that company and kind of online? Are we there yet? Yeah. So, so, so let's let's go to a couple of things. So, so firstly, um, there's obviously a huge industry um, of, of quants that are that are predicting, um, sure. you know, and, and fairly successfully. Um, they're mostly using uh, numeric information. Um, so, text is kind of the next frontier. Um, and sure. text is an interesting thing, right? Because you know, you're going in, and, and language is, is is a little more um, complex than numbers. Sure. Um, now, a lot of the stuff that, that is done, I would say, in terms of you know, what's commercial today is, is things like sentiment. Um, and, and there are, I think, you know, reasonable trading models that include sentiment um, sure. inside of them. Um, 
coming deeper than that um, in terms of, um, you know, looking at, um, you know, language, I think you, you unfold event-driven trading strategies. Um, okay. But it's not clear that that's going to lead to certain events that happen um, that you're, you're looking and monitoring for. Um, that may or may not be encoded already into kind of price information, okay. uh, particularly um, the emergence of, of tail end risk. Um, so things that are, um, are relatively infrequent, but if you can monitor enough things, you can start to observe them. Um, and then, you know, that they're not encoded. The second bit is, you know, uh, looking at the connectivity. So events that happen that are not connected directly um, or mentioning the company involved, but you have a, a priori model of how the two things are connected so that you see the event unfold and no one's connected it back to the company and the stock. Um, And you're able to make that connection as it goes through. So there's some interesting stuff there, but I I think the stuff that that, that you sort of maybe alluded to from from the previous part of the the conversation was once you have machine generating stories, you know, you have obviously abilities to start to influence. Um, Now, the the, the regulatory environments, um, you know, preclude that from from happening to some degree. Um, It's, it's um it's definitely I think we're going to see the edges of that pushed where we don't see it is in the crypto space <laughs> and yeah, so where most of the kind of things coming through is you're getting these machine generated stories about um you know the, the the crypto things and ads that are being you know automatically generated to push and that that's sort of the wild west and and I think in a, in a purely unregulated space you 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 uh you could see huge manipulations. Um, on, on, you know, sort of, I, I guess, pseudo futures um, and, and these kind of ICOs, um, which, you know, you have stories being written and, 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 uh, and pushing and moving um, through that. So there's some degree of control in the U.S. markets on that. Okay. I, think, um, I think in the crypto space, you're seeing a, a, a probably a, a very, very happy hunting ground for a lot of um, language generating stories. Uh, sorry, a lot of language generating engines to, to, to write stories to manipulate. Interesting. Thanks for listening to Building the Future. This show is heard by more than a million people monthly in over 15 markets worldwide, including Silicon Valley. Kevin Horick's guests are leading business owners, successful entrepreneurs, and merchandisers worldwide. Now, your brand has an opportunity to tap into this dedicated and active group of business people who are looking for places to invest and the right opportunities to support. Find out how you can get involved at buildingthefutureshow.com. Well, and I, I think the even the other thing that I was kind of thinking about, and we were kind of talking about it before um, you got on the call, is what about you could almost write, like if you're launching, say, a startup from today, we launch a startup, you could have, could you potentially have some data and some text and some other things get created and just start flooding the internet with kind of maybe half truth at best things based on what's happening kind of in the world to actually get your startup to cover or talk about how to solve some problems that are kind of happening in, in in kind of right today and then tomorrow and, you know, weeks and months going on that like I could have something actually writing content based on what's exactly happening based on maybe hashtags that are trending or things that are trending online to kind of help me boost my company and or startup to actually move forward and, and actually gain traction and potentially become really successful. Do, do you know what I'm getting at there? Yeah. Or is that kind of no, crazy? That's right. it's sort of the, 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 scary, the scary future of, of um, things. I mean, we're, you know, if you, um, you substitute, you know, startup for ICO, then I, I think we're probably, you know, not, not too far from it. Okay. Um, 
you know, I, I think coming back to kind of what's actually being done today, um, you know, one of the places that I love looking at it is, you know, these, uh, these Amazon stores, um, you know, that'll be, um, you know, taking, um, you know, T-shirts and coffee mugs and so on and printing um, sort of slogans on them. And these slogans will be just generated. Um, okay. And uh, they'll be, you know, obnoxious or strange or weird or random. Um, they're generated by machines. Um, and then they'll hit one, right? And they'll hit a really good um, phrase on a T-shirt, um, you know, keep calm and X, right? Okay. And they hit it, right? And then everyone starts buying it. And all right. of a sudden, um, they keep producing more and more of it. So there's this kind of thing of, right, like um, searching the space to see, you know, what's going to hit and when it hits doubling down and doubling down again. Sure. And if you do this, um, you could do it for descriptions of products that didn't exist and getting them, you know, into the kind of the likes of Kickstarter. You could gotcha. make ICOs that, um, you know, had never occurred before. And the, the issue on that is, it's it's easy it's easy to generate lots of things. It's hard to know which ones are successful. But if you're doing this at scale, you can effectively A/B test everything. Sure. And if you A/B test everything, you only need to be right once. And when you're right once, you go for it. So I, I think we are seeing this stuff today. I think the next level of sophistication is not slogans or or sort of you know um, you know crypto coins. Um, but, but it would be going into kind of you know potentially um, political manifestos, right? Generating sure. um, the story, and you go instead of just trying to like you know intuit you know like Donald Trump trying to intuit the popularism, just have a machine you know figure out what's most popular and start making that the platform. And we saw that with you know the Five Star Group down in um, in Italy. You know these populist uh, political movements. Um, why are we trusting humans to kind of come up with um, you know the popularist message if you really want to? push that like you know a b test the hell out of it and and and, uh, um, and run so I, I i think i think there's some really interesting things here when you when you think about the capability of machines to generate um language um and and and, and sort of um by proxy kind of products or uh, ideas or um things at scale um and then we have a have a testing mechanism back against us so we, we, we're right on the edge of that, right? And, and I, think, I think where we have been and we look at the political manipulation um, in, in the last election, it's pretty primitive, it's pretty rudimentary. It's, it's people sitting down largely and, and, um, and scheduling messages that, that they've pre-created themselves. Um, and you know, to the extent that there's automation there, it's, it's fairly crude and it's not really A-B tested. Um, but all of that now exists, right? The science to do all of that exists. And so we will see that creep into the uh, the political space and probably in time for the midterms um, here in the U.S. Sure. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on how do we as human beings inform ourselves or try to figure out the actual most amount of truth to something you read online? Because it's always going to be skewed some way but like how do we kind of look for and detect kind of fake news yeah well so so i'd say on this here if you want to go fake fake um like things that never actually happened sure um that, that are fake um then i think you're looking at this you know three or four things that we would we would come through on this the first is provenance where did, where did this information first come from okay and that that tends to be a very very and it's not like, you know, where was the, the article published? It's like if they're making a claim, um, you know, that there were uh, 600 people arrested, you know, sure. where did that first originate from, sure. right? The second bit kind of coming, the coming from that is, 
you know, what, um, and it is kind of related, is, is, is what degree of, um, of independence of the sources. So you want multiple um, perspectives. Okay. So that could be, um, it could be a video from one source. It could be a, um, an interview uh, with, with the person on the ground from another source. It could be a third one is, um, uh, you know, just an account from, um, uh, you know, from, uh, from maybe the, uh, um, one of the leaders or, or the police um, side of it, right? So multiple accounts from different sources that are not regurgitating the same information. So there's sort okay. of an entropy um, uh, metric that you want to take. Um, the third piece of this is, um, is, is the claim that's being made. Um, what's the distance? Um, you know, when you think of an, an entity graph of all the different relationships that exist, if a claim is being made, how big is that jump um, connecting those two um, entities? Okay. And if that jump is very large um, on that graph, um, then it, it, it uh, is uh, less likely um, to have occurred. Now, it doesn't mean it's fake, um, but it, it probably means there's more evidence because the priors um, on that are that this is an unusual connection uh, to make. And so you can kind of think about, you know, the, uh, the Hillary Clinton and child trafficking. Um, the jump on that graph to make that connectivity, you know, Hillary Clinton is a, a child trafficker, is a big jump. Sure. Um, and not just a big jump, you know, metaphorically, it's actually a, literally a big jump on that graph. Sure. Um, so if, if you connect that, um, you better have a lot of evidence um, to do so. Um, so the dynamic there, I think, when you start looking at that, um, the third bit, or I guess the fourth bit um, on that is, once this information out, how is it propagating? And real information that's, that's, that's not manipulative um, has, a, has a dispersion mechanism through, through our social networks, through um, our mainstream media that has one characteristic. Um, it looks you know, a certain way. Um, media that is um, being pushed, whether it's, it's real or fake, but, but let's say fake media that's being pushed and manipulative has another characteristic. And so the diffusion of that tends to be um, a lot more um, tightly bound um, by, by groups of, um, of actors that are much more highly connected um, than, than the organic you know, fashion, and that's because of the way that these networks are constructed. Um, and so looking not necessarily at the content, but looking at how the content propagates um, is, is also a very, very good signal um, amongst us. And so I think these are tools that start to um, give us um, evidence of, of, of things being real or fake um, and uh, you know, manipulative or, or, or not. Um, but I would caveat that and say this is by far and away not the um, not the dominant form of manipulation. The dominant form of manipulation is something actually happened, um, and we're going to you know amplify that much more than the uh, the significance that that event would actually warrant. Um, so similar mechanisms, but you're just starting from something that was real, and so it's harder to say, hey, that never happened. It's fake um, because evidently it's real. It's just that you know it's being used to manipulate. Sure. I, and I, I'm curious, this is what I do personally, and tell me if it, it's good or bad. I, like in, in the political space, if, if I'm trying to follow some sort of political story or, or candidate or, or whatever, I'll read kind of, um, say, hypothetically, say the like a Republican type uh, news source, and then I'll go read a Democrat type news source on the same story for example and then i try yeah. to read something that doesn't really have a political affiliation um and and then i try to 
piece it together and form my own kind of conclusion on what potentially yep. happened there. Is that kind of a terrible way to do that? Is that a good way to do that? Or is there a better way to do that? No. So I, I think some of the systems that we, we, we build and deploy, um, you know, we'll run through and say, look, something happened. There's an event here. Okay. Um, you know, here's the, here, here's the most um, central perspective that we can find. Okay. Um, and that won't necessarily be in one article, right? That, that, that sure. may be um, an aggregation of information uh, from different things. The nice thing is when you have 20 or 30 um, pieces of this, you can actually assemble that back together to get a very um, good kind of, you know, mean approximation to what's going on. Gotcha. Um, once you go through that, then you're looking um, not just for, for a left or a right, but you're looking for variances in how the story is told, right? And, okay. And um, I think, you know, humans, humans as, 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 as um, you know, as sort of uh, shortcuts will look, you know, for the, for the, uh, for the maybe the, the, the Breitbart article or the Mother Jones article, or, you know, we'll, we'll take, you know, those proxies. But, you know, those perspectives, you know, could very well be, you know, captured in, in all sorts of different um, sources. But you're looking for variances in that and saying, look, you know, there's actually three, four stories going on here. Um, this event happened, but there's three or four stories. And, and here's, you know, how we would tell each of those stories back to the user. And then secondly, it's saying, you know, and this information that is being broadcast to these other um, perspectives first was um, seen in, in, in these publications, right? Okay, interesting. And that's where you get the not, not just, not just the, um, the left and the right, but you, you get the, the variance of opinions um, or perspectives, and you also get the provenance of those. And I think the, um, the bit that, that the humans um, will, will struggle with um, on that is, is that that's a pretty time-intensive way of doing that. So sure. for anything that happens in the world, you want to be able to, to call it up, and, and our software allows that to be, to be automated gotcha. um, so that the user you know, is, is flagged um, with that. And I think the, uh, the, the piece of this, again, is, is you know, that, that's actually a very you know, good strategy. It's just quite, you know, as you describe it from a human perspective, it's quite expensive. Sure. So are you guys ever going to build your own kind of like consumer version of, of your software? Or, or how, does that, how would that even work? Yeah, so um, it's been something we've been experimenting with. Um, you know, here, uh, I, I think it just, you know, we, we all sort of, um, so we all uh, built you know, the techniques, uh, you know, for, for our, um, you know, government and our, um, our corporate customers. And, sure. you know, the advantage of that is, you know, obviously they've, they've got um, deeper pockets and can pay for kind of some of the expensive development that's going on. Sure. Um, but we all, you know, everyone here at Primer will, will run some variant of this on uh on their own, um, on their own uh, cell phones, um, you know, looking at you know the, the part of the world that they're interested in, and uh, you know, for me, I, I spend a lot of time running this on top of scientific papers, and sure. uh, and that's um, you know that, that allows me to kind of navigate the uh, the changing landscape of AI um, and, and and quickly kind of understand what's going on. But we'll have people running this on all sorts of things, um, and so as we come through that, I think you know there's there's a definite path here into a um, a more generalizable consumer. Um, application. Um, the other uh, challenges on that are, uh, um, you know, scaling these um, these algorithms up to uh, um, to, uh, to 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 literally, you know, hundreds of millions of people. Um, sure. And, uh, you know that that's one that's one issue. Um, I think the second is, um, you know, you uh, you want to refine the um, the outputs and performance of these. Um, the consumers have a have a different kind of tolerance in terms of um, their engagement, but. You know, as, as we come through this, I think um, you know there's uh, there'll be a few things um, uh, later this year that um, that we'll experiment with uh, publicly, and um, and that'll be really fun, um, and uh, I think be very very interesting to see 
um, how uh, how that goes, and um, and then we'll go from there. So um, yeah, this is this is you know I think very very interesting technology, and, and the wider we can get it in the hands of more and more people, I think um, I think the better uh, that will be. So so excited to get that underway. Yeah, because I, I think the interesting thing that I could see happening is if. I want to know something about something, whether it's happening today or it happened like a hundred years ago. And if I can just like almost have access to that information, that's as truthful as possible instantly or within a matter of seconds or minutes it is actually like really cool, right? Or potentially yeah. really cool no, and I powerful. Mean, it, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a game changer and it's it sort of, it takes us through and, and um, you know, my, my philosophy on this is that the sort of, you know, the, the base um, level of knowledge, um, you know, in the world that that's assembled together by a lot of human um, reading and writing, you know, can and should be automated. Uh, and so that we as humans can stand um, uh, on a, a little higher uh, rung on the ladder um, and make use of that um, machine intelligence to, uh, to help us understand that base layer. Um, and stand a little higher, um, and do things that are uh, that are more interesting, more creative. And um, I think if uh, if you've got some of that, um, you know, in your pocket, um, then all of a sudden you've got a more accurate uh, rendering of, of how the world is, and um, and uh, you know you can go from there and hopefully make some better decisions. Um, and uh, you know, as the world we started off, as the world becomes more complex, uh, we absolutely need these tools. Um, we're not going to do this. Um, with our with our human brains alone, sure. uh, we we need we need the help of machines that, that see the world differently and can do things that we we simply can't do. Sure, but sadly, Sean, we're out of time. So let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and and Primer. So you can uh, go to our website, um, Primer.ai. And um, you can uh, jump in there and take a look at some of the technical blog posts we've put together. You can also go and have a look at um, some of the, uh, the, uh, the visualizations of the technology at work. And uh, you can go and also take a look at some of the coverage and uh, hopefully uh, link to this podcast there as well. Yeah, that, I will uh, definitely uh, put all that in the, the show notes. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you taking the time under your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future. <laughs>